Good afternoon. You're listening to Rights, Rorts and Rants on 89.1 FM, Radio Blue Mountains. I'm Deborah Smith and I'm hosting today with Nick Franklin. Hi, Nick. Hi, Deb. Uh, missed the old day in Katooma Town. Pretty wet. <laughs> we've got a warm program, haven't we? If we wanted warm weather, we'd move to Queensland, <laughs> That's wouldn't right, we? yeah. If, if they let us in. <laughs> I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land from which and over which we broadcast, the Darug and Gundungurra peoples. We acknowledge their elders past and present. Now, we could say the theme of today's show is trust or maybe distrust. Societies and even economies need a certain amount of trust to work well and distrust is costly in many ways. In waste when plans are made on the basis of broken promises, in increased security measures and more. So who do we trust when we hear conflicting reports or our leaders say one thing then do another? In recent days we've seen Scott Morrison promise to keep JobKeeper payments in place until September just to have that promise to people in the childcare sector broken days later. We've seen reports of police at Central Station on the day of the Black Lives Matter protest differ greatly from civilian witnesses, and we've heard conflicting reports about a disturbance in Long Bay Prison. We've heard authorities encourage us to get out there, get back to work, do shopping, go to the football, our health will be okay if we physically distance. Well, that's what we're told. But don't get out there to protest against more than 430 Aboriginal deaths in custody since 1991 because that, we're told, is selfish and a risk to our community's health. We haven't heard the voices of the people who are currently in most danger of dying in custody. During the show, we'll be talking to Brett Collins Brett is a spokesperson for the Prisoners Action Group and a coordinator for the Community Justice Coalition. Brett spoke at one of our Politics in the Pub events about the withdrawal of privatisation of teachers from jails. Um, that was in 2016. And if you go to our Facebook page, there is actually a link to him speaking at that event, if you're interested in that. He's been representing prisoners nationally and internationally for over 30 years. Hi, Brett. Can you hear us? Yes, I can, Nick. Oh, it's good to speak. Welcome to Rights, Rorts and Rants. Um, now, you've been checking in closely on recent events at Long Bay Jail, variously described in the media as fights over drugs or a Black Lives Matter protest. The official line coming from the prisons is that the events at Long Bay uh, earlier in the week were triggered by fights between prisoners over drugs. That's what led to the fighting. They say, what do you think happened? Oh, look, that's an outrageous statement and, and some, like self, self-evident. Like anyone can see that um, the uh, lettering there on the, on the, uh, in the back of the cage on, on the grass, um, the BLM, uh, <laughs> you know, Black Lives Matter. It was all um, quite clearly a statement by prisoners who are affected most of all by um, the deaths in custody. So this was their issue. Um, they're mostly affected by it and, and, so, and they're uh, clearly um, expressing their views uh, and so their tensions about so not actually being um, actually able to, first of all, to speak to have their voices heard uh, and, um, and we're making sure that through the um, through our protests and the way they were, that they uh, were being heard and, um, and you can see what the authorities did could, in that process. Could it, could it have been, Brett, though, both? There were fights over drugs and there was a protest over Black Lives Matters? 
No, look, what's, what's happening all the time is in, in Jandy you've got all these tensions. I mean, you've heard the reality of this is that almost for three months they haven't seen their families, their, um, you know, their fathers, mostly fathers, and uh, not seeing their children, not seeing their wives. You know, so there are immense tensions in there at the moment. And so, so what you have is um, a young man, mostly uh, less than 30 years old, um, uh, and beside each other, um, um, and they're quite often disagreeing. You know, they are disagreeing. You know, they have some, um, uh, but, you know, the drug issues, that's just, that's just a, a, a Firthy, uh, so easy put down, and and a suggestion also that prisoners themselves are no not interested in in you know, uh, political matters or even um, meeting their wives. And you know? <laughs> we had the same argument the other day when we we were um, discussing whether the visits were important or not. And and collective services said, "Oh no, the visits are not important. They're only important for the use of drug is once again. So it's a look at a, a process um, uh, uh, of dehumanisation by corrective services, which is exact antithesis of what they should be doing. Now, just on that matter of visits, you, you yourself were in Long Bay, admittedly, all those years ago, but how important are those visits to prisoners? Look, they're absolutely essential. They're, they're the link across to, um, to people who care about them. They're, they're, they're the softening uh, of, the, um, uh, of um, the atmosphere inside the jail. Uh, if you didn't have visits, didn't have families to go out to, if you didn't have you know, the, somebody who loves you and actually says, oh, come on, darling, you know, and the young child to climb over you and, and to make you feel human again and feel part of the community, uh, you know, those, those things are, 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 are grounding and ensure that people have something to go out to when they're released. So everyone agrees that the visits are essential, not just for the, um, for the families or the people themselves, but uh, for the, uh, uh, the resettlement of people that they have, um, have a chance to go out to um, people who love them in the community and they can um, ground them properly and, and um, remind everyone that you know, we're all together and, um, and no, one's, no sure. one should be um, sure. sent out, gone. gone uh, yes. Now, Brett, the words, I can't breathe, have now been heard around the world after the murder of George Floyd in America, those very same words were used by an indigenous prisoner, David Dungay, when he died in Long Bay's prison hospital after guards had stormed his cell in 2015. Dave was reported, David was reported to have said, I can't breathe 12 times before he died. What action was taken against the guards after that death? Nothing, actually, nothing at all. I mean, the appalling thing was that the the same group called the uh, the um, immediate action team. Uh, you know, they they've been uh, portrayed as being the heroes. Um, in fact, uh, on the they're on the post on the back of a, the official magazine, there they are posing. Um, you know, 35 um, uh, men, mostly men, a few women strong, um, looking um, ready to um, uh, ready to hit, to punch, to not to negotiate. And this is the antithesis of what was intended um, uh, by the at the end of the. Uh, the uh, inquest by um, the coroner, when the coroner said that there should be at least 50% negotiation, there should be de-escalation, there should be people talking to each other, and there should be the um, the um, the inmate development committee um, um, should be engaged, so there should be other people trying to interpret um, for a person under tension about what is going on to, and to stop the, stop the force. And well, just on that matter of the force, Brett, um, now he, David, was reported to have been held down on his stomach by members of that group who call themselves the immediate action team. Uh, the, technique, the technique, I gather, they use is called the prone position. Now, that had previously been identified as a fatally dangerous move after the death of Robert Plasto Lenier in the Northern Territory. Is that technique still being used, and how does it work if it is? Look, it is being used. 
is, I mean, it's the easiest thing of all, is just to grab somebody, and in this situation, you've got you know, six men running in, and and, um, and just to hold them down, and they, and what they do is they put their, um, their um, a knee in your back, as we saw with David Dungay, and, and what happens is the stomach squeezes up into the chest, and that the person you know, can't breathe, simple as that, and um, and the pleater cannot have a breath, <laughs> you know, oh, to ignore that, and to say, oh, you can talk, you can breathe, is an outrage, and and, um, and of course, uh, uh, is what of course the death of David Dungay and others before. So this is something that has happened for a period, and no one has cared, and is still continuing even to this day. Now, what I, what I find really hard to get my head around, Brett, is that it was all over his refusal to stop eating biscuits. Now, is that true? And if so, how did it come to that? Well, look, it is true. I mean, there's no question about what occurred. The inquest examined everything very pain, pain, painstakingly for over a period of three weeks. And so it just came down to they wanted total control of David Dungay and they acted as I said, like, for his benefit, they were going to take away biscuits. Because he, he, he was a diabetic, wasn't he? That, that's what... Their motive. Yeah, yeah. So he was a diabetic, and you know, he was like, you know, they, they really um, were trying to um, impose their will on him. And when he said, I won't give my biscuits back, because that was the only thing he could control, they said, We'll take it back and then we'll move into another cell. All of those things were totally unnecessary, as we found later. There was no discussion at all with the health, um, uh, health officials there. The doctor wasn't consulted. The prison officers then dictated to the person who, who then injected him twice in the buttocks. And so it was outrageous what happened. And just indicated that they just didn't care. They just wanted to take charge and they killed him in the process. Now, Brett, you've been campaigning on this sort of stuff for well, God, longer than I can remember. What, 20, 30 years? <laughs> it's probably more like 50, actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the, I mean, I mean the, the really terrible thing is that David Dungay's death in Australia did not stir up the same amount of public outrage that George Floyd's did in America. Why do you think that was? A number of reasons. I mean, the most basic reason is that the um, the black population in, in America is much larger. You're, you're talking yeah. about something. Yeah. You know, so the, you know, there's a large group of people who, are, you know, have, have control in some areas, and they're much larger, much more powerful than they are here in Australia. So they get hurt more. It's as simple as that to begin with. Mm. But then, of course, as the indigenous people in in, in Australia are now becoming um, accepted as having a um, a much more important and and so emotional role. In in, in Australia itself as a, as a community. So I think you'll find that um, that the Indigenous population will be much more um, um, accepted and more, and, um, and the opportunity for a treaty and um, other movements that come out of out of um, the, the agreements that are, have been put in place, I think those will now be listened to much more. And I think that, that um, movements like the Black Lives Matter and the strength um, from internationally, the strength from that, uh, will um, give much more leverage to, um, to people inside the prisons. And uh, sure. I mean, there's certainly a feeling that there is some momentum here. In fact, there's another demonstration tonight. Is that right in Sydney? What do you know about that one? That's right. Yes, look, that's right. In fact, we've just um, prepared a statement and uh, that has come through from Long Bay and we've um, brought that to the to the, uh, to the rally for tonight. And there are a lot of people there, despite some intentions um, from the police minister. I think um, if, uh, if they should, for them to be disrespectful of a rally, um, saying to the police that they should um, no longer kill people um, when they're held in their custody, I think that's uh, it's outrageous that such a, a context could occur. You think that police would give extra respect into this sort of rally. So let's see what happens tonight. Because, I mean, there are going to be very soon big gatherings of lots of people anyway at things like football matches, aren't there? Look, that's right. I, I, 
don't think there's any question that um, you know, there's a right for protest, and this is a very important protest. I think this is an ongoing issue, and um, and I'm sure that the police, well, the easiest way, that, of course, for the police to um, to ensure these protests don't happen is to bring change in the way they way they hold people, they restrain people. That's an overdue statement by the police minister. I think that's the most constructive thing he could do at this stage. Uh, and what do you hope for? What, what, I mean, we've, there's been a lot of talk over the years, hasn't there? That things are going to be done, and as you've said, sadly, they, they often aren't done. What would, to you, be a first step? Oh, the first step should be getting the voices from the people who are directly affected, get, getting those out. So instead of having what happened in Long Bay, which was to lob tear gas into the yard when people were already lying on the ground and, and uh, totally submissive, the idea is to get them up on their feet and they're actually starting to talk with them. So that would be the first point, to start dialogue, to make sure that um, that voice is actually heard from inside and they're seen not just as lumps of, um, of uh, meat that they can be, um, can be bitten or can be aghast, but people who can talk and communicate and not be degraded by the present process. Well, Brett, I know you've got a plane to catch, so I really appreciate you coming on the programme tonight. It was good to talk and uh, we'll catch up again soon. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Okay, thanks, Nick. Thanks for the chance to express it for, the, for the, all those people. Okay, Brett. See you soon. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye.